0: Welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast as we explore the mind of former MLB All Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner Brett Boone as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. On this special episode of the Boone Podcast, Brett is joined by Yankees beat reporter WFAN Sweeney Murdy and the voice of the Arizona Wildcats and CBS Radio talk show host Rich Herrera as they break down and review the first half of the 2022 MLB season.
1: I know, it's crazy. Welcome to the
0: Thunderdome people and now huge your host Brett Boone.
1: Welcome to the Boone podcast. I'm Brett Boone and today on the program we're gonna we've got a special one for you. We're gonna break down Major League Baseball first half of the season. I'm joined by WFAN Sweetie Murdy and Rich Herrera voice of the Wildcats. Rich is gonna be our host today so uh, on that note Rich take it away.
2: Well, it's time for our annual look at the All-Star break. uh, We do this before the season starts. We do this in the middle of the season. We do this after the season. So I'm excited to hang out with Sweeney, uh, getting a chance to talk baseball with you and uh, Brett. So let's just get right into it. Sweeney, I'm going to start with you. Let's break down the National League, what you've seen so far, surprises, uh, disappointments. So let's just start with the National League. Uh, Give me your thoughts on what we've seen for the first half.
3: Yeah, I guess, I mean, if you're going to break it down into surprises and disappointments, uh, I'm probably staying in the National League East. I mean, the Mets have to be somewhat of a surprise, right? Um, you know, they made a bunch of changes in the offseason. They haven't had a game pitch yet by Jacob DeGrom. And here they are. They, uh, they're, they you know, near the top of the league all season long. Uh Max Scherzer missed a bunch of time too. They spent what, probably a third of this season already without either one of those two guys in their rotation. Uh, So this is a team that has shown you they're pretty good. They do need to probably make a few additions before the deadline, but I would say coming out of the gate strong because a change at the top doesn't always mean you're going to do that probably should be considered a surprise. Uh, Biggest disappointment. I'm staying in the East because I think the Phillies are that. Now, the Phillies are in the race. You know, they're in playoff position, but they had to fire Joe Girardi because they weren't very good in the first half of the first half. And um, I think that's disappointing because when you talk about, you know, when I talked about the Mets, you know, the first year under the new manager, here they go, they're off and running. This was the, what, the third year under Joe Girardi. And this was supposed to be them kind of taking off and really hitting their stride with, you know, you know, Bryce Harper is going to be around a long time, is going to be a really good player a long time. But how many years of him do you really have in his prime? Uh, and I think, you know, that's a window that you always have to be aware of. So the Phillies are in that right now. And to think that they didn't take advantage of that early on with a good start. To me, that's a you know, that's has to be considered disappointing. Um, you know, Milwaukee, the Dodgers leading their divisions as we speak. Um not all that much of a surprise. Really nothing out central or west is surprising to you. Um, but I, I think you have some good teams there. And uh, I think I think what would surprise us if there's a lot of movement in the second half. I, I personally would expect the standings to look pretty much like they do now the rest of the way. All right.
2: All right, Brett, let's jump to you. Give me your thoughts on the National League.
1: National League, I think um... – Sweeney hit it on the head as far as surprises. It's got to be the Mets. Uh, Not that they weren't a good team. That was going to be a battle, that division, I thought. With the Braves, the World Series champs last year, Phillies getting better in the offseason. It was going to be a battle. The way the Mets started, and, and to Sweeney, to your point, not having DeGrom throw a pitch yet, this season, Scherzer been in and out of, of the IL. Uh, really surprising to me that they've done as well as they can. However, that being said, Braves have started to close the gap, similar to what they did a year ago. It's it's tough for me when I look about look for a, a disappointment because I look everything looks the way it's supposed to be. Brewers and Cardinals atop the mediocre NL Central. Uh, Mets and Braves and Phillies all kind of you know Phillies eight games back now at this point, but. But the Mets and the Braves at the top, that's not a huge surprise. There's no disappointment there. Man, if I had to pick a disappointment, Dodgers leading the NL West. Padres, a little bit of a surprise, Padres being as good, playing as good as they have, especially without Tatis. If I'm going to pick a disappointment, coming off, I believe it was 106 wins last year. Giants, kind of mediocre. You know, 43 and 42, Kapler playing the uh, the we-don't-play-the-unwritten-rules game. We'll see how that pans out. I haven't counted them out yet in the West. Probably it's going to be a wild-card situation if the Giants do get in this year. I haven't counted them out, but if I had to pick a disappointment, it would be the Giants to this point.
2: Uh, Let's jump back over to the American League, and Sweeney, we'll let you go first. Uh, Give me your thoughts on the American League, how the race is breaking out, your surprises and disappointments.
3: Yeah, um, I, I think we all have to count the and listen. We we you know Brett and I both follow the Yankees pretty closely for obvious reasons, um, and I think you have to consider this a surprise, considering how big the gap is at the at the break. Uh, I don't think this is anything we expected. Um, I think we you know I, I think because we are close to we probably felt the Yankees were better than some people were giving them credit for. But I don't believe we thought they were this good at the break. And they still have rooms to room to get better at the margins here before the break here. And they have a few questions um, that they can address. Uh, and the division is really good. So that's probably a bit of a surprise, too, because as we speak right now, the Orioles have been on a big streak and have gotten the 500. And none of the other divisions are that strong. And that's one of the things that I look at, like Houston, it's not a surprise that Houston is good, right? But if you look at their division, only Seattle with their recent win streak has kind of closed the gap over 500, but everybody else is, is lingering under and the Astros inside their division are not nearly as good as the Yankees are inside their division. So while the Yankees and Astros head to head appears to favor Houston a little bit, um, I I still feel the Yankees are kind of on equal footing with them or it it would be a good series if that's the ALCS matchup. Um, But Baltimore has to be the biggest surprise because of how closely, even before this win streak, the fact that they were within 10 games of 500 playing what we thought was the toughest division. That is in itself a huge surprise. Um, Now, whether they can keep that up for the you know for the last seventy games after doing it for the first ninety you know that's a trick you know this is attrition during the course of a season so I think we um, you know I, I think we have to give them a, a big pat on the back for the first half but not necessarily expect it in the second half as far as disappointments one stays in the east is Toronto. Um, because they're while they're in the playoff race here and they're in a playoff spot, they clearly feel like they're a disappointment because they fired their manager, Charlie Montoya. And um, you're talking about a team that was ready to take that next step. But it's not always a linear movement in baseball. You know whether it's Whether you're talking about individual players as prospects going from prospect to superstar, that line doesn't always go straight up. And teams going from good to great doesn't always go straight up. The expectations were on the Blue Jays now and we talked about you know what they had done the last couple of years building with their young core of players and now there are some expectations but guess what while that was happening the Yankees and Red Sox didn't get worse I think that's something that Toronto I'm sorry Tampa Bay has taken advantage of in years past where they've had a window where one of those teams wasn't necessarily that good and they could take advantage of that the Blue Jays while they're trying to make that next step up are fighting in division where the Yankees and the Red Sox are exactly as good as they're supposed to be. The Red Sox overcame a slow start to be that, but they're still a very dangerous team, even playing through a bunch of injuries right now. Tampa has somehow managed to stay in this thing just because they're Tampa, and uh, the injuries that they've incurred haven't, uh, haven't deterred them in any way. Other disappointments, though, have to be the White Sox and the Angels. Uh, the White Sox were supposed to be... Well, the White Sox kind of in that Toronto category, because they were supposed to be taking the next step. And they haven't come close to that yet. They're they're worse off than Toronto. At least Toronto's over five hundred in playoff consideration. The White Sox are not that right now. And the Angels simply have two of the marquee players. They have a healthy Mike Trout. They have an unbelievable Shohei Ohtani is following up and having another unbelievable year. They simply don't have enough around them to make them any better. And they are incredibly disappointing. And they already fired their manager Joe Madden.
2: Brett. Let's jump back over to you. Same question.
1: Well, I'm going to look at the – we'll start in the AL West for me. Uh, Houston, that's no surprise to me. I I look at the Mariners. Obviously, I follow the Mariners a little closer, being my team. Um, They're definitely a better team than they were a year ago. They got off to a a terrible start. Uh, They've won 16 out of their last 18, making a little bit of run. I still think that that's Houston's division. M's are better. Pretty mediocre uh, division. I never had high expectation for the Angels. Doesn't surprise me where they're at right now. I didn't think they could pitch with the rest of that league. Uh, Oakland doing what they're doing. I don't think that's a disappointment either. The way they dismantled this offseason over in the central. That's a that was a wide open other than the Chicago White Sox, who for me, if I have to have one disappointment, it's definitely the White Sox. It's a pretty mediocre division not unlike the NL central. However, Chicago, I did have at the top and everybody else fighting for second place. Twins have taken over. They're winning that division, Cleveland, right at 500 second, uh, That's got to be the biggest disappointment for me, Chicago, and probably the biggest surprise. Not that I didn't think they were a really good team, but I'm going to have to side with Sweeney here. Anytime you've got a team on a a record pace uh, like the Yankees are, I knew they were a good team. This good. uh, I don't think anybody can foresee that. And the rest of the division shaping up the way I thought it would. Were you talking about Toronto? Uh, Ryu going down, that's huge for them. And the one thing I said in the preseason was for Toronto to make that next step. Berrios has got to start pitching like Berrios is capable. And uh, are those headlines we talk about Berrios being a young guy? He's not. He's north of a five again in the ERA category. So uh, that's why Toronto is where they are right now. Orioles, a fun a fun story. The fact that they're hovering around uh, 500, I think that's a surprise to people. A lot more surprises and a lot more disappointments on the AL side for me. NL pretty much has gone like it has.
2: All right. Let's jump into some of the bigger stories like you talked about. Obviously, the hottest team in Major League Baseball resides at Yankee Stadium. Sweeney, you see them every day. Aaron, uh, you grew up with their manager being the brother of Aaron Boone. So let's start with this. Last year, at the end of the season, there was a lot of people speculating and Sweeney calling into your station, calling into me on CBS Sports Radio. Ah, we got to get rid of Aaron Boone. We got to get rid of Aaron Boone. All of a sudden, Aaron, something happened during the offseason. Brett, he became the smartest guy in baseball because he's got the best record in baseball. So talk about how your brother got just a little bit smarter this offseason and went from a guy we were wondering whether he was going to keep his job
1: to a guy who's probably going to be manager of the year. Well, without a joke, without a doubt, I I sat down, had several talks with Aaron, really taught taught him the nuts and bolts Mm -hmm. of how to manage in the big city, and he took it to heart, and and look what they're doing. They're on a record pace. They're not going to beat the Mariners 2001, but nevertheless, they are on a record pace. No, all kidding aside, uh, Aaron Boone, when he came to the Bronx, uh, Aaron's very well prepared. He's very smart. He's a likable guy. He interacts and 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 really has a good relationship with his players, has done a great job from the start. Sweeney and I talk talk quite a bit and we laugh about it, how it's, especially in the Big Apple, you know, you want to be the manager of the New York Yankees, you're going to have to put up with the heat. And when you're not winning, of course, you're the worst person in the world and you don't know what you're talking about. I think the changes the Yankees made this offseason, season uh, probably are the are the bulk of the reason that Aaron Boone's in very good favor right now in, in New York. Uh, Aaron's a passionate guy. He prepares as well as anybody I know. Uh, he gets his guys ready to play. His guys like him. They like to play for Aaron Boone. And uh, the biggest difference for the Yankees this year for me is is addressing that catching position. I think it's put that staff from, from the starting rotation into the bullpen at ease. No, first of all, yes, they're a very talented staff. They're a very talented, if not the most talented bullpen in all of baseball. But the change of that catching position, that consistency with Trevino, Higgy behind the plate, uh, really brought a calm to that staff. And and it's it's a psychological calm. It's something, as a player, you come to the ballpark and you think, wow, I trust my receiver behind the plate. I feel good about it. Great catchers, and and I've learned to appreciate them a little bit more. As life's moved on for me, I've got a little more experience. That relationship, the, the pitchers take the mound and they think, even if I don't have my best stuff, I trust my partner back there to get me through those games. I think that's been the biggest difference for the Yankees. It's not talked about as much. It helps that Aaron Judge is having that MVP season and they've stayed somewhat healthy, something they haven't been able to do uh, the last three or four years Uh they're the team to beat. It's tough. It's been a lot of fun to watch. And and yeah, although I've never been a Yankee fan, I'm kind of forced to. I'm very happy for Aaron Boone. I'm very
3: happy for that franchise.
2: All right, Sweeney, what's the big difference between last year and this year's Yankees?
3: Well, it's it's been a slow build. Uh you know, I, I think we all you know know the game well enough to know that nothing happens with the you know, with the snap of a finger and all of a sudden you're different. Um, I think there are a couple of key factors here. One of them is that, you know, the remember that they made some changes to their to their medical, their training, their athletic training, performance uh, science department a couple of off seasons ago. And last year, I think even Brian Cashman said as the Yankees were going through some early injury issues, he said, you know what? The changes we made probably don't take effect right away. Um you know, you, you're you going to have a, you're probably going to fall backwards a little bit before you move forwards. And now, if you look ahead to where we are now, a little past the halfway point, the Yankees have been one of the healthiest teams. I'll knock on wood for your brother, uh, Brett. And um, uh, they've been one of the healthiest teams in the entire league. And they have kept Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton on the field pretty much together for the last two years consistently. That's a huge factor. I mean, just even if those guys aren't always hitting, just putting them in the same lineup every night matters. When you see that one of them is definitely coming up in the first inning, and if you put anybody on, the other one's coming up in the first inning. I mean, that's a that's a pretty hard thing for a pitcher to try to get through. Um, and, and that's a difference, being healthy and having your best players on the field. That's a major difference. And that was a couple of years in the works for the Yankees as they changed over all their training and athletic uh, training staff. Um, The other part of it to me is the fact that, you know, Brett talked about the trade of Sanchez. You lose Luke Voigt. And you've subtly changed a couple of different things. There are uh, a couple of people and the whole, listen, there's still a lot of strikeouts in this lineup, but, and there's still a lot of slow station to station guys in the lineup, but there's a little bit more contact and there's a little bit more athleticism. And even some of the slower guys, because of some of the, you know, they didn't just change a couple of guys and become a better running team. They made a concerted effort. From coaching standpoint, organizationally, if you look up and down their organization, and I can speak about them a little bit you know, more than I can other teams because this is who I follow, but up and down the Yankees minor league system, they're stealing a lot of bases and there is a focus on the uh, secondary lead and first to third, second to home, first to home, those kinds of things. And stolen bases. And that's going ahead to the major league level in part also because of what I talked about with the training staff, right? So you've got healthier players now. You've got some guys who are not the same bulky sluggers like Sanchez and Voigt, who were, you know, good offensive performers, but not necessarily overall uh, the type of athletes that you're, you'd build if you're trying to build this type of team, and I think that's what they've done differently. And you've got guys here who are more aware of what they can do. Even some of the bigger guys are going first to third, first to home because of the base running um, things that they have focused on. So you've got a healthier group. That's more athletic. Uh, you know, they were already pretty good because even in a bad year, they lost, they won 92 games. Now you're adding some things in. They're able to score a little bit better and, these are things that have been in motion that all of a sudden make Aaron Boone seem smarter.
2: You look around uh, the the American League East; their run differential one hundred and seventy six. Next closest is Boston, uh, forty five. In fact, if I look through the entire American League, Houston's plus one hundred and three. Uh, Is there anybody else in baseball that high? The Dodgers, 150 plus. You look at the Yankees, they've scored 26 more runs uh, differential than anybody else in baseball. So let me take what Sweeney's saying and advance it just a little bit for you, Brett. Uh, Station to station, Sweeney, like you were talking about, making sure you take that extra base, getting from first to third. That sounds a little bit like the Tampa Bay Rays that I used to work for with Joe Madden, where they just put extra pressure on you and make somebody else uh, blink, make somebody else make a mistake. Now, if I'm able to be that aggressive on the base pass, putting more runners in scoring position, and then I turn around and I got those sluggers, Brett, what kind of difference does that make?
1: Without a doubt. And and Sweeney sees it on a daily basis. He can speak to it a little bit better than I can because he's seeing it day in and day out. I get in there and I get out when I can what he's speaking to on, on running the bases is something I witnessed in the early two thousands with the Anaheim angels and, and under Mike Socia, he was a stickler for that from day one, his teams, they would run the bases. They would constantly put pressure on you to the point where we'd go to Anaheim, Anaheim would come to us. And in the pregame meetings, we'd say, guys, they will go first to third. They will run in your face. It's amazing. When you put that much pressure on the defense, uh, how less accurate those outfielders are throwing station to station when they're used to people respecting uh, the arm strength. It's amazing what they can do. I remember uh, in the early 2000s, a, a man by the name of Sean Figgins. There'd be a runner on third. I'd have the infield in. I knew they were going on contact, and it made me uneasy. I'm thinking this guy's gonna run in my face when I'm up on the grass, and it's 50 50 that I'm gonna get him because they were that good at it, they worked at it that hard. It's a it's a separator. And and when you have a bunch of really good teams, which <clears throat> when we get to the point to the postseason, we call it the tournament, uh, that's where all the great teams are. And to be able to separate yourself by running the bases a little bit better than the next guy, that could be the difference between being a world champion and not. I think in 2002 – Uh, When the Angels won the World Series, that was the difference. That American League West back then was kind of the class of baseball, and that's how they separated themselves that year. They were just a little bit better than the rest of us running the bases. I think that's a huge key that, that Sweeney pointed out. I think it's something that's not talked about in 2022 in the game of baseball, but it's definitely a difference maker.
2: All right. Let me advance this just a little bit more because as I look through the, some of the advanced numbers uh, that you look at, especially in this American League East, you look at the New York Yankees against the East. They've beaten up the East sweetie. They're twenty-eight and fourteen against the Central, nine and sixteen West, ten and four interleague. They're four and two against right-handers. They're forty-two and eighteen. And I thought this was interesting against lefties. They're nine and eight. You look at Charlie Montoya, who was let go uh, this week, as the skipper of the Toronto Blue Jays. You look at him against the American League East; he got they got beat up. They're sixteen and eighteen against everybody else. They're above five hundred. You look at uh, Tampa Bay, nineteen and sixteen against the East. You look at Boston. One of the reasons they're sitting up, uh, looking up at the standards uh, standings of the New York Yankees. They're only eleven and twenty-two within the division. The Baltimore Orioles, fifteen and nine. How good are the Yankees, and how? good are the Yankees at beating everybody else in this division and really opening up some
3: space. Well, and like to your point about that, I kind of mentioned this earlier when talking about Houston, you know, Houston is basically the same record inside their division as the Yankees have inside theirs, but the, the AL East is top to bottom much better than the AL West. Um, so that's why I, I look at Houston, even though the five games that they've played so far this year, Astros have won three. The two that the Yankees won were walk-off shots in the ninth. Uh, they didn't lead until they actually took those final swings. It, it tended to look a little bit one-sided. But, you know, to me, all those games were pretty close. They lost one of them uh, 3 nothing on a no-hitter. Otherwise, they were closer games than, than even the three runs. So I, I still think they're pretty even footing. And when you look at the idea of staying in front, this is what's going to be kind of fun about the, you know, When you're watching what to do in the second half, because, you know, the playoff format here now rewards, uh, you know, best records. So you're talking about uh, getting the first round by as well as home field. If you should meet Houston, those are things that you need to keep playing for. And I think that is something that's pretty important there, uh, especially when you consider the Yankees and Astros. And I realize I'm kind of making this about Yankees and Astros, but listen, everything's gone through Houston for the last five years. The Yankees have fallen there twice: 2017 and 2019. Both times, Houston had home field advantage. Um, I, I think it's a pretty safe bet that both these teams are going to the playoffs. So um, if they if they remain healthy and and look this good, I, I think you know this is kind of what we're almost. Was looking forward to as a best of seven ALCS. But as someone said to me the other day, you know, don't sleep on Boston. You know, the Red Sox had a tough start to this season, but now they're getting healthier. Uh, Sale is back, Givaldi's coming back. Um, you know, they're, they're still a team to watch. And it reminded me of what I watched in 2004 when the Yankees kind of ran away with the division a little bit towards the end of the season. When I say ran away, you know, they had, I think they won it by like eight or nine games. Um, and they, it was a pretty healthy cushion for the final month. But it was like, you know what? You, you, you know the Red Sox are making the playoffs. And Pedro and Schilling and everybody, you know, you, you're you going to want to be careful of them. So I think it's kind of the same thing. No matter how far ahead you are right now in Boston, let's remember, if they get through a first round, you know, anything can happen here. Um, there's still some really good teams here. As much as we're talking about how far above everybody the Yankees and Astros appear to be. I still think there's some good teams here that could at least make it interesting, and Boston's probably the top of that.
2: Well, you look at this uh, for this year, Brett, and I'm going to ask this of you as well, Sweeney. You look at the Yankees, 14 games up uh, as we head into the week of the break. Houston, 12 and a half up on Seattle as we head into the week of the break. uh, You look at the Dodgers, seven and a half up. If they extend those leads out, Uh, before i could coast through the end of the season Sweeney, i could sit down and i could rest half the new york yankees because they got this thing in the bag but now if you're going to battle for that home field advantage will we see teams do that in the second half start resting players start managing innings start trying to make sure that i set up and everybody's healthy or do you have to keep pressing the pedal to the metal to make sure that if you're the yankees or you're the dodgers or you're the astros you get home field advantage
1: well, I, without a doubt, the home field advantage is huge, and you know it's it's funny that that once you get a lead like this and, and you go to the second half and they talk about resting players, this it's not like we're going to rest players for weeks at a time. I mean, you're going to have a day off here and there. We as players we're programmed, we're programmed to go out there and play every day and beat your butt. And, and just because we're going to rest a little bit, it's going to be smart resting. It's going to be a day here and a day there. It's not going to be back to back days. Like I said, it's not going to be weeks at a time. We're not going to have Garrett Cole skipping his starts. Uh, maybe a little more a uh, little more careful but the bottom line is when you when you play this game is to win the game first and everything else comes second. I think the teams that have these huge leads they're going to be smart about it. Dusty Baker in Houston, if this lead continues in in that uh in that AL West, he's going to be smart about resting his players without jeopardizing that home field advantage. So uh, I think they're going to be smart about it. it. It's not as big an issue as people make it. Uh, I remember Lou in 2001 with our team, you know, talking years later, like if I, I would have rested the guys more. Well, I don't really think that would have mattered that particular year. We needed another pitcher is what we needed. So uh, the rest could be a little bit overrated. These guys are, are in the prime of their life, uh, prime athletically. uh you need less rest than you really think, but but I think that the teams will just be smart about it, and it's not as big of a deal as we make it to be.
3: Sweeney, yeah, um, I think you're going to have to push for it a little bit, but you're going to find days. I mean, even right now, you know, the Yankees are finding days to give Aaron Judge a little breather because they you know, they're they're always kind of. Uh, you know, I don't want to say hiding is the right word, but they're not really always telling you if Aaron Judge is hurt. Um, you know, they they insinuate something about his legs and then they kind of uh, give him a day off here and there. But that's something you're going to have to be careful about uh, the rest of the way. Remember, Aaron Judge is playing center field, and this is going to – what's. Going to help determine this a little bit more is going to be what the Yankees do at the trade deadline because one of the areas where they can improve is they can get themselves a true center fielder and push Aaron Judge back to right field. Um, Their outfield defense is okay right now. If you look at it metrically, it's okay. It's not great. This team wants to be great. So if you want to be great, I think you have to strive for better than okay in areas that you're okay. So I think right now the outfield is one of them. And clear, listen, clearly, Joey Gallo is, has not had the, uh, the Yankee run that he had hoped. As a left-handed batter at Yankee Stadium, he hasn't been able to take advantage of that even. And there, nothing else has really come around to the point where you see him being a part of this to the end of the season. So as the Yankees look for outfield help... I think rather than having, right now, they have a guy who's playing center field. They don't have a center fielder. And I think there's a difference. And as well as Aaron Judge plays it at times, I think the constant pounding that he takes uh, physically uh, in that position is something that you have to be aware of when you're talking about a six foot seven body that you want to keep into an extra month of the season healthy and productive. Um, so if you're talking about, Um, Whether it's days off or maybe pushing him back to right field that hopefully isn't as taxing on his body, I think that's something that you need to look at. Uh, Now, one of the things that I think is going to be kind of interesting this year is Judge hit his 30th home run, I think in the 82nd game, you're looking at trying to hit 60, 61, which are still magic numbers in Yankee land, even if they're not the overall uh, record anymore. I think we know from, you know, from the Bonds, Maguire Sosa era, um, I think there's still something that's pretty significant and special about especially a Yankees player who is maybe going to hit 60 home runs. So while you're working through all the rest and the idea of trying to finish out a great season as a team, I think that's another sidelight there. Um, I, I think that becomes a bigger issue in September as you see how it goes. And if they do tend to rest him more, like like Brett says, if you get, if you see him getting two days off and they're not really tell- – and they're all just kind of telling you, oh, it's just an extra day, it tells you there's something a little bit to worry about physically with a player that they just don't want to tell you the whole truth about it, don't want to make it a big deal. Um, but, you know, that's how you signal that something's wrong when you start giving him more days off than you th- – I don't think they're doing that now. I don't, think he, I don't think he's getting too many days off now. I think that's something to watch going forward. But I would look for a true center fielder if I was them to help that situation.
2: All right, Brett, you alluded to it. You brought it up, so I'm going to go with this. Uh, You talked about uh, Lou Pinella looking back at your 2001 season where you win 116 games for the Seattle Mariners. So let me throw this out there. Uh, as we get closer and closer, the Yankees are above 700 winning percentage. Can the New York Yankees eclipse the 116 wins from the 2001 Seattle Mariners, Brett Boone?
1: <laughs> well, I look at this team and, they, and there's some similarities and the similarities come with the swagger. And, it, and it's not uh, I don't say it from a from an arrogant standpoint, but it's something about that team. It's a look. Uh, it's a glance. And and they know they're going to win the game. I, I mean, Sweeney has been watching this. I've been watching what I can. But how many walk offs have they had this year? How many? And. Her- but it's almost expected in that club in that dugout. I remember that 2001 team and it wasn't that we talked arrogantly. Oh, we're going to kick your butt or but it was kind of a, a known thing. And when we took the field, the other team knew it. There was something about us that was special for that season. I see that with the Yankees right now. They take the field and a lot of times the other team is finding a way not to lose. Instead of winning, because they know up oh, if we make a mistake, this Yankee team, we've been watching them, too. They're going to come back and get us. That's a great feeling when you're the team with that aura. The Yankees definitely have it this season. Uh, the thing that happened with as far as winning 116. Wow. If you just look at it logically uh, as amazing as they've been the first half, they've got to keep that same pace up. For another half. So logically, I'd say, no, they're not going to get to 116 wins. But who knows? It, it could happen. I don't think that's the goal of that team. Swinney, I think you made a good point with the Aaron Judge thing. He's playing center field. That's a little more mileage on your body playing center field than a corner. But at the same time, he's got records. And, and as much as we say we don't want to be selfish, it's not selfish to go out there and think, I've got a chance uh, historically to put up some monumental numbers. As an individual, as a player, as a guy that just turned down 200-plus million and looking for another contract, don't think Aaron Judge isn't thinking about that that 60-home run mark. And he should, because the more home runs Aaron Judge hits, that's not selfish. That's the better the Yankees are going to do. It's going to be a lot of fun watching this second half, and, and I think – The one thing I'll say about Aaron, he's very well prepared and he's very smart and he's got a lot of experience. He's going to he's going to look at this second just because you're having this unbelievable season. Once that season's over and the postseason starts, that's a whole new season. And I think the Yankees are going to prepare. They're going to address whatever they need to address at the trading deadline and be ready for that playoff run because. In New York, as everybody knows, they don't care what you do during the regular season. It's World Series or bust. That's why they got so many of them, and it's going to be fun watching this second half.
2: Brent, how many series did the Mariners drop
1: that year? <sighs> I, I'm telling you, Sweeney will correct me if I'm wrong, so I don't take it to the bank. I don't remember losing a series till the – I believe we didn't lose a home series till September. I think we lost a series uh earlier in the season, but it wasn't too many. It seemed like we just walked into stadiums. It didn't matter who was pitching, who was playing. We just were on a magic carpet ride. And it's like, we know we're going to win. Uh, whoever we were playing knew we were going to beat them. And usually that's what happened until that, that treacherous uh, <laughs> ALCS where those Yankees took us down.
3: I think Brett always blanks on this one. Cause I've reminded him about this a couple of times. The Yankees came to Seattle in May and won two out of three. Uh, and that might have been the first series they lost at all. I don't remember that part. But um, I do remember uh, coming to Seattle in May and, you know, Ichiro, is, as rookie, being all the rage, and the Mariners off to this great start. The Yankees were still the Yankees at that point, right? Having won three straight World Series. And they they won two out of three. And it was a big statement for the Yankees at that point because they had not gotten off to uh, as fast a start, uh, definitely not as the Mariners did. But to go in and play a team in their building that was playing that well, winning two out of three, I remember specifically, was kind of a little statement for the Yankees to know that they were still pretty good.
2: Are the Yankees capable of winning every series for the rest of the season?
3: I capable, here's the, they're always expected to, you know, right. here's, the, here's the problem. You know, they just lost, as you and I are speaking, they lost a couple of games um, and they lost one late where Clay Holmes just couldn't you know? Couldn't find the zone. All of a sudden, he's he's he walking guys, hitting guys, and within nine pitches, he's loaded the bases. And I have people you know on social media clamoring for Holmes to get out of the game and what's Aaron Boone doing? His closer, who's an all-star, just had to only thrown nine pitches before he loaded the bases. Like, what are you supposed to do? You're not backing up the closer, you know. So um, stuff like that tells you that. Whenever the Yankee, the Yankees are always supposed to win. They're not ever expected to lose a game at all, um, and a series. My goodness, um, it's almost like things are falling apart. But they're not really. It's just kind of like how the season goes. And you know, you have to take a look at the larger body of work and not just the rea- overreact to to the smaller samples of a game or a series. Yeah, they're going to be. Listen, I told you earlier, they are. They have been healthy. That's one of the things. If you look going into every series, you're ta- we're talking about the opponents as, oh, look who they've lost. You know, Tampa Bay, Boston, look who they've lost. Look who look who's, they're waiting to come back. Uh, look how many, you know, they've just played the Reds. Look how many rookies the Reds have started this year. And, you know, it's a lot of that. The Yankees haven't done a lot of that. The Yankees just kept throwing their lineup out there. And even when they've had to go get somebody like Matt Carpenter, you know, he turns into Roger Maris. So I I think the Yankees are rolling to the point where if they're throwing this lineup out there every day and this pitching stat, you know, some of the starters look like a little weary at this point of the year. They need a little rejuvenation. Mm -hmm. But if they're throwing this group out there together, there's nothing that tells you they can't. Win all of these series, but you know, to Brett's point, you could play. You could play at a 600 clip the rest of the way, and that's not going to be good enough to get you to 116 wins. You know, that's still going to be really good, uh really good record, really good baseball, though. So there's a lot of luck that has to go into that. Um, I, I think they're I, th- I just think they're really good. And I think I think I have to keep reminding myself of that and reminding other people of that because Brett's right. The Yankees are all about October and the World Series. And I think we always look at every game the Yankees win or lose and say, OK, what about this game tells you whether or not they're capable of winning or losing a World Series? When you do that one hundred and sixty two times during the year, that's exhausting. So I think you have to step back once in a while, look at who the Yankees have, compare them to the other teams, and recognize that this is a really good team that has won a lot of games, that's beaten the good teams that they've faced, their top performers are playing like their top performers, and that you know they just need to roll through this and have a little bit more luck on their side as they move forward here. I say all the time that you cannot fast forward to October, you just have to get there. And really, right now, that's what the Yankees have to do, is get there.
2: All right, sweetie, this one's for you because Brett and I won't know what this is like being in New York on a daily basis. Is there pressure the better the Yankees play, or is that just come with the territory and let's just roll and and it's just different there than
3: anywhere else? Well, I I think this is where, and I'd love to hear Brett's take on this because I, I think he and I have talked about this once before. The 98 Yankees won 114 games and they knew that as soon as the playoffs started, it was back to zero. And if they were going to be remembered, if they were going to be any good, they were going to have to get off it again. And they were stuck in a rain delay in the first round in Texas, um, in the uh, division series, 98 and the team was tense and there was a meeting in the rain delay. And Joe Torre says his group that, you uh, had won the World Series in '96, had gone uh, to the playoffs in '97, and had roared to 114 wins '98. He said to them, "Guys, you're not you're really not having any fun." And Paul O'Neill stopped him. He said, "Skip, it'll be fun when we win." You know. And they were tense. They were a tight group. They needed to win. They knew they needed to win to validate. And they were prepared for the net, for that battle that was to occur. They found themselves down two games to one to the uh, Cleveland Indians in the ALCS. And then they never lost another game. They won three straight against Cleveland and won four straight against San Diego. A couple of comebacks against Trevor Hoffman along the way there, too. But that team needed that, and they wanted they wanted to be great, and they knew that they had to reset and reestablish that. I think, Brett, you've talked about the idea. Once you guys got to 116 wins, looking back, you probably let go of that desire to be great, thinking that you were already going to just get there, and that's where it tripped you up.
1: Without a doubt. I mean, I look back at that season and it, when we talk about the 116 wins, yeah, what a cool thing. I'll have that forever. I could say I was on the 116 win team. But I think if you talk to each guy on that team, we would trade that for a World Series ring uh, because it did. It was exhausting for us. Uh, obviously, we had never the, – the personnel that was on that particular ball club, we had never gone through anything like that. And once it was over, it's like, oh, yeah, now we got the postseason. But I think – We kind of took that postseason for granted and thought, no, we've won so much and other teams roll over for us. All we have to do is show up and throw it out there and the series are going to take care of itself. And I've talked to to a lot of people about this. I remember that ride home from Yankee Stadium when we were eliminated and the look of shock on on not only myself, but my teammates face like that just, that didn't just happen. You know, this is the magical year. Doesn't everybody know that we won 116 and now we're supposed to just go to the world series. And of course we would win the world series. I think we took it for granted a little bit because of how smooth that season went for us. If we were down by three in the seventh, uh, we knew we were going to score four and more times than not we did. It was like magic. And all of a sudden, that magic ran out and it was, it ran out at Yankee stadium. And, and uh, if you could rewind the tape, I think we would have approached it a little bit differently. But when you're in the middle, you've got to remember that like, okay, this is great. What the Yankees are going through right now. Wow. This is awesome. This is a, a miracle season, but let's not, Let's not uh, worry about this season so much. We know that postseason. Let's not take that postseason for granted for how great of a regular season we have. Because once again, going back to my point, New York, they don't care about the regular season. Uh, all those all those flags flying at Yankee Stadium, they don't care about first place in your division. They compare when the playoffs start and get into that World Series and winning you
2: know, it. You know, the flip side of that. Sweeney, you said 1998, uh, the Yankees beat the San Diego Padres in the World Series. Bruce Bochy's the manager. And after that World Series, uh, and then he goes to San Francisco, one of the things he mentioned was, you know what I learned in that uh, World Series gets the New York Yankees? Is the sense of urgency that you have to have in order to win a World Series, and he took that sense of urgency to win his three World Series in San Francisco. And I don't know the Giants and Bruce Bocher are able to do that unless he learned that lesson, seeing what it's like how the Yankees play in the postseason and that sense of urgency.
3: Yeah, I mean, but it's also a little bit of hard luck on him too. You I know, mean, he has a Hall of Fame closer he's bringing in with Lee. I mean, you when you're you're when you're a manager like that you're basically done managing when you bring a hall of fame closer into a game to try to try to win. And the Yankees beat Trevor Hoffman, you know, Scott Brocious with a big home runoff of them. Um, you know, that happened a couple of times, I think twice in that series, but you know, you have, you know, you can talk about urgency, but you've when you get to the point where you're going to win, maybe that's where the players realize too. Like it's kind of like what Brett's talking about, you know, it, it, the intensity ratchets up and you've got to understand that the whole, everybody is playing for something more. And even some of the lesser players who aren't star players can rise to that occasion and understand that. I was talking to somebody just the other day who said, we were talking about trying to figure out like who can be key acquisitions and the kind of people that you want to look for as you get to the trade deadline. They told me like, just remember, look at some of the people who have won, Uh, league championship MVPs or World Series MVPs you know it's not always the stars even look at last year you know the Braves had uh, Eddie Rosario and Jorge Soler as the LCS MVP and the World Series MVP you know they weren't even on the team when the season started and you just trade for them you don't expect them to be the guys carrying your team Uh, you know Steve Pierce was the MVP when the Red Sox won the World Series back in 18 Uh, uh, Cody Ross and Marco Scudero were you know those Giants teams of Bochy they were league championship series MVPs, you know, it might be anybody. So and when you've got, you know, w- when you've got players like that elevating their game, sometimes at the ex- it's at the expense of a Hall of Fame or an all star player. You just never know what kind of things are going to happen, who's going to show up at that time of year.
2: As we talk about how well the uh, excuse me uh, Dusty Baker and the uh, Astros are playing, and Aaron Boone's New York Yankees, and we could talk about uh, how well the Dodgers are playing. The flip side of that is there are teams that are struggling. There are teams that are way below five hundred. There's teams that will be eliminated sooner before uh, you know it. What managers do you see on the hot seat? We've already seen Joe Madden let go, uh, replaced by Phil Nevin. We've seen Joe Girardi let go, and Charlie Montoya is the latest.
1: Brett. Um, When I look at the manners and the AL, there's a few more. Um, Obviously, Tona La Russa, not only his age, uh, but what the disappointment that the White Sox have been this year. Uh, A lot of times when managers get get released and and relieved of their duties, it's not necessarily the manager, but somebody's got to go. And and it's easier than firing uh, most of the players, which you can't do anyway. So I'd I'd have to say just – you know, by process of elimination, La Russa, there's got to be talk around that. You know, a good friend of mine that I'm so happy for that finally got that opportunity uh, was Phil Nevin being the interim manager for the Angels. That's not a guarantee that he's going to continue on. I think the rest of the season and, and how that shapes up is going to dictate Phil's future. I think Phil's one of the most qualified men in the game. Great baseball man but you never know. You got to throw him in there. Uh, my Seattle Mariners, they're on a recent run, but there were high expectations in Seattle. They haven't been to the playoffs in 21 years. Service has got to be kicked around if they don't make the playoffs. Uh, Montoya just went. I go over to the NL. I don't see too many uh uh, situations in the NL. I think the teams that are at the bottom of their division, uh, going into the season, you knew they were going to be at the bottom of their division and there wasn't going to be much scrutiny on the manager. The only one I see, and I, and I talked about at the top of the show with my disappointment was the giants and Gabe Kapler. I know a year ago, great year. Uh, There's been a lot of fuss around the the Giants and how they go about playing the game, kind of kicking uh, the history of the game and how it's been played for so many years, having kind of their own rules. We do this, uh, we run the score up. Uh, A lot of things that that don't really sit well with a lot of baseball purists. Uh, It would be interesting to me if the Giants finish out of contention and don't get a playoff berth, how Gabe Kapler goes. Other than that, uh, I don't see too many other uh, National League managers really on the hot seat.
3: Sweeney? Yeah, I think really Tony Russa is the one I'm just kind of looking at more than anything. You know, the White Sox have been the biggest disappointment. Uh, and it seems like he's kind of in the, the crosshairs of some of the decisions that he's making and you know raising eyebrows that way um there are people on that staff that are managers and waiting at some point i believe so i don't know if they would do that as soon as this year you know jerry reinsdorf is you know pretty much uh in lockstep with la or so it seems so i don't know if that's something that um would be imminent but i think if you're looking at this from a standpoint of what the phillies and blue jays just went through they had expectations and they weren't met and they didn't want this season to get away from them i think that speaks to where toronto really thought that they were supposed to be and what their window was and if the white Sox are kind of in this mode too they're in the most winnable division of that i mean so if if you know I, I, it doesn't seem to me that they're ready to make that move, but it, they're in a position similar to Philadelphia and Toronto, I think, where they saw if they kept going down that road without a change, they were risking the whole rest of the season. And Chicago's only a handful of games out. Um, their belief must be that it's that Tony's the one that can handle that and get them through it. But I think the rest of us looking from the outside are, are saying – you know, they're not that good and it doesn't appear at this point that they're getting, they're going to be that much better yet.
2: All right. One of the fun things after we get through the all-star game, as we get to the trade deadline, who needs to make some moves? Boney, what are you looking at as far as moves? Who needs another piece in order to get to the promised land?
1: Just my experience uh, player and and the really good teams that I've been on in the past, uh, everybody that that's in that hunt uh, should be looking to make moves. I think the the real. Sh- the real uh, challenge this year, and it's different than past years. The most playoff teams ever. Uh, we're going with twelve this year for the first time. So that means a lot more teams are going to be in the hunt longer. So you, when you come down to who are the buyers, who are the sellers, it's not as a, a clear cut as it has been in the past. So other than the obvious teams that are at the bottom of the division, way out, the Reds. Uh, the Oakland the Oakland A's, other than those teams, it's not clear cut who's in, who's out. You're looking at the Angels right now. They're looking bad. In a month from now, they might be right on the cusp. You know, 500 is going to get maybe a couple teams in this year to the postseason. So I think that's going to be tough. The buyers and the sellers, it's not going to be like it has in the past. I think anybody at the top, uh, you got to be looking to add. You can always find a place. You know, you talk about the Yankees. Center fielder comes. Center field comes to mind. You look at the Yankees. Also, I'll tell you what. As great as that bullpen is, and it is great, and a couple of the big guys out in the bullpen haven't even been at full strength all year. They can still add a piece to that starting rotation. If there's a Scherzer available at the deadline, Scherzer type of player available, don't think the Yankees aren't going to at least explore that. And some of the other top teams too, Houston, you can always add. The Dodgers are always looking to add if it makes sense to them. Mets, we know with the new owner, Cohen, uh, in New York, if he thinks he needs – if it doesn't go good with DeGrom, if Scherzer goes on the IL again, don't think he won't be looking around it's great to look around, but what is actually available out there? The guy that really is going to be the top prize, I think is going to be Castile from the Cincinnati reds. He's going to be on everybody's watch list. You're always, I always am, am a fan of more pitching, more pitching, more great pitching, uh, the one guy that, that really stands out for me is the Castillo from, the, from Cincinnati. I think he's going to be the, the top pick on all the, the guys leading the divisions and going to the playoffs list. So it'll be interesting to see, but I think it's going to be a different year than the past. I think you're going to have a lot more hesitancy. Do we buy? Do we sell? Do we fold the tent? Do we go for it? It's going to be interesting. I think good for the game because it has a lot more cities involved for a lot longer.
2: All right, Brett, let's finish everything up. I got one more question for you as we wrap this up. Uh, Break out your crystal ball. Give me a prediction. Give me a fearless prediction that we're going to have for the second half. We'll start with you, Brett.
1: Fearless prediction. Yankees cruise. uh, They cruise the rest of the way. Are are we going prediction like one prediction? Just just give me one thing that you're going to see the second half of the season. Yeah, just one. Mariners are going to make the playoffs for the first time in 21 it. years.
2: That's it. Sweeney, what do you got for me?
3: Uh, Aaron Judge will enter the final series of the year with a chance at 60 home runs, a uh, chance of 61 home runs, let's say. So that could mean, you know, that might mean he's sitting on 58, 59 or 60. But we're going to be talking about Judge and Maris before the final three games of the year. That's my prediction.
2: There you go. All right. Hey, guys, thank you very much. It's been fun uh, breaking down the first half. I'll turn it back over to Brett.
1: And as we do each and every Boone podcast at the end of the podcast, we kick it back to the voice of the podcast. And that is the, the one and only Dan Levy. Dan. That's going to do it for the Brett Boone Podcast. My
0: name is Dan Levy, the technical director, producer, voice of the Boone Podcast. EP, executive producer, Rich Herrera, digital. All gets uploaded by Liz Landry. Do us a favor. Share the Boone Podcast. Neighbors and friends and all those that love sports. Make sure you subscribe never miss an episode and while you're at it give us a five star rating and share your feelings about the podcast by leaving a review on whatever platform you listen to the show for all of us here on the moon podcast he is brett boone you can find him on social media at the moon 29 i'm dan levy bass on air that is bass on air all of my social medias thanks for listening we'll do it again soon have a great one